Welcome to the 17th episode of the Street Roots Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Devon Pouncey. On this episode, we will be joined by Jed Perriott, who's an organizer with Street Watch Los Angeles, and he'll discuss the sweeps that took place at Echo Park Lake in Los Angeles, police presence and tactics in the process of the sweeps, and the role that sports play within it. So sit back and enjoy, everybody, as Jed Perriott joins us here on the Street Roots Podcast. On the line right now, we have Jed Perriott, who is an organizer with Street Watch LA. Jed, appreciate you greatly for your willingness to join me here on the Street Roots Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And for starters, can you just sort of illustrate uh, some of the recent happenings at Echo Park Lake? out in the Los Angeles area so that people kind of have a good foundation of what this conversation will be all about. Um, and, you know, just some of the happenings that have been taking place there in regards to sweeps and more. Yeah. So, you know, as many folks have been seeing in the news, there was a major, I would say it was a, a military operation at Echo Park Lake where uh, hundreds of cops and Helicopters showed up and put a fence around an encampment, basically turning it into an internment camp, or as the residents would say, a prison camp, they felt. Um, and, and it was basically an act of militarized gentrification. So we have this problem, not just in LA, but all over the place, where homelessness is exploding uh, because housing is, a, uh, is not a human right, it is a commodity. Um, and COVID has exacerbated that problem, where people are being evicted, losing their jobs, living, living outside in public spaces. They have nowhere else to go, right? And so at Echo Park, um, it, is a, it is a public park, and so public parks have things that people who are homeless need, right, like bathrooms, uh, public health resources, drinking fountains, uh, hand-washing stations, shade, uh, open spaces where you're not blocking the sidewalk, which is a complaint that a lot of encampments um, draw, right? So, so parks are a place that if I was homeless and I had nowhere else to go and I didn't want to go to a shelter, which a lot of people rightfully so, don't want to go to these, these shelters and, and interim housing um, spots that have you know, very carceral uh, restrictions. Um, you know, I would probably want to go near a park or just straight up camp out at a park. Um, you know, and so that's what's happened at Echo Park Lake is that a lot of houseless folks were drawn there because of those resources. And suddenly you have the, the white homeowners, I'll just say it straight up, the gentrifiers uh, complaining that they don't like that they have to see tents out their window uh, and that they pay taxes. They don't deserve to see uh, that, you know, Poverty and, and really, it's it's very racial. You see people um, saying things about the community there, uh, just making uh, gen generalizations like, "Oh, they must be criminals. They must be this. They must be that. Drug addicts." Um, when really, you know, about a year ago, when that, that encampment started to expand, it was a lot of young black men who were just building community together and working together. Uh, and it was a diverse community too. But it did feel like suddenly the complaints really went up when there was very when it was very visible that the encampment had a lot of black folks. Suddenly. So uh, that's something I observed. Uh, the criminalization uh, came immediately from park rangers and police telling them they couldn't be there. Um, Street Watch LA, you know, I'm, I'm based out of Echo Park. We, we fight criminalization. We monitor police sweeps and sanitation sweeps and uh, pass out Know Your Rights flyers to folks, let them know they have support, that they can fight back. They got a voice. You know, there's a movement for uh, housing as a human right and for house keys, not handcuffs. That's our, our slogan. And, uh, and they can join that fight if they want. We're here to support. And those folks there said, hell yeah, we want to fight back. You know, we don't want to go to shelter. We got nowhere else to go. Um, you know, the, the Martin versus Boise decision had just been, uh, right, the Supreme Court said, you, know, you can't punish people for, for sleeping in public space if there's nowhere else to go. 
I know that like city attorney and police will say, well, that doesn't apply to parks. And the residents there said, well, well, we dare you. We dare you to arrest us because we feel like it should apply to parks. Um, and the police would just threaten, but they would never actually ticket or arrest people for, for camping. Uh, but they chose to do things like, like give out citations or actually take people to jail for quality of life, minor infractions like smoking in the park. So, Ooh. right, people, you have the, the, the hipsters and the gentrifiers on the other side of the park drinking rosé and, and smoking vape pens. They're not getting bothered, but as soon as a houseless person smokes a cigarette, uh, they're surrounded by park rangers and police. Um, so it was that kind of harassment that started and they then escalated by saying, and we got a tip, we're going to clear you guys out in the new year. And this is back in late 2019. They said, we're going to do cleanups every week and, and clear you out of this park. We don't want you here. And the community rose up. They said, yo, street watch, can you help organize, put the word out that this is happening and, and, and to try and raise awareness and stop this. And, and we did that. We did a couple really big, uh, sweep blockades. Uh, sweep defense actions, or we got the press out there. The residents wrote a statement demanding a meeting with the council member, Mitch O'Farrell. Uh, so he's the one, his office is right up the street. They said, look, we just want to have a conversation with you about where we're at. You know, a lot of us don't want to go to shelters. Is there a way you can work out a deal where we can just be respectful of the park and you could let us stay here? Maybe we could help beautify the park. Maybe you could do a jobs program, you know? And the council member did not respond. Uh, he instead just kept sending police um, to harass folks. And we just kept, the community kept coming together and organizing housed and unhoused folks saying, no, you can't do this. Um, a lot of the folks were talking to the press, the houseless people getting their voices out there, which was incredible. That's a big part of our work as well. Street watch is like, if folks want to talk to the media, we, we connect them to, to whether it's, you know, mainstream media or independent media, you know, locally. Um, uh, yeah. But, uh, so COVID came around the same time that we were in this battle for, for public space there this fight and COVID just put a, put a halt to everything as, y- as y'all yeah, know, right? The whole world. <laughs> yeah. And to every, to everything. And so, so it was good to get a breather from the constant police harassment that was coming. But then again, suddenly you had uh, greater neglect. So you had public libraries closed. Where do people go to charge their phone now? Um, you had the councilman actually said he was going to open the bathrooms 24 seven, but they ended up locking them. It was a very bizarre sequence of events there where the councilman was saying, no, no, I just made it so they're open 24 seven. And the residents actually asked us, Streetwatch, the folks like myself who were more privileged if we could risk arrest, doing a blockade around the bathrooms when the attendants came at night to lock them, saying, no, you can't lock these. People need bathrooms right now. It's, it's a pandemic. Um, but the encampment, uh, and we successfully did that, by the way. It was an incredible, uh, peaceful, direct action that forced the city to leave those bathrooms open, or at least some of them. Um, but shower access got turned off. There were some locations nearby where folks could go take a shower every day. The mayor uh, defunded that, said, no, nope, we can't do that anymore. Um, so the residents built beautiful showers for themselves at the park. They built a mm. kitchen. Uh, they just continued building community. And again, during COVID this past year, a lot more folks showed up to Echo Park Lake uh, who were either evicted, who fled shelters because shelters, they felt suddenly were not COVID safe as a congregate setting. Right. And they heard that Echo Park Lake was a safe place um, for houseless folks to be. Um, and uh, and you, know, you could talk to a lot of people who said that, a lot of women who said, I wasn't sure, you know, about going to a big encampment like that. And they said, wow, I really, all of a sudden as I got to know people felt safe uh, as a single woman. Um, then, so there was community built there, but at the same time you had a lot of neglect. The city was not picking up the trash. Uh, the city turned off the lights from the homeless side of the lake, as the residents call it, uh, the west side of the lake where the, the encampment mainly was. They cut off uh, uh, drinking fountain access. Uh, they just cut the, the water from the drinking fountains, kind of similar to what a slumlord would do or like a landlord, right? When, yeah. when they kind of harass folks like, to get them to self-evict, 
sort of like that type of tactic the city was pulling, um, just total denial of services. And at the same time, encouraging NIMBYs to organize against the encampment, uh, a group called Friends of Echo Park Lake Forum, which is mostly white homeowners, uh, from what I saw from the meeting we, we joined uh, a few months ago, where they revealed they were having secret meetings with Mitch and LAPD to permanently remove uh, the Echo Park encampment. Uh, and this was during COVID. You know, we thought yeah. there was only they could do this. But they, uh, they had secret plans to offer, quote unquote, housing or shelter. And if people refused, they would get kicked out. Uh, so we knew that was looming a couple months ago. We had heard about those meetings happening. And um, yeah, and so come, come March, March uh, to 19th, word comes down that they're doing it. They're doing a, a major sweep, a park closure. Uh, we heard on the 24th or the 25th of March, they were going to aggressively offer hotel rooms to folks. And um, if, if folks didn't take them by March 24th, uh, they were going to kick everybody out and put a, a fence around the park. Yeah. Uh, under, under the guise of, by the way, repairs. So they said, we have to make repairs to the park and we're going to give everybody housing, right? So it's one, two punch. They said, you know, to sort of cover up what their real intentions were, which is to get rid of people from this lake because a lot of the gentrifiers uh, want them gone and are angry. Um, right. Right. I, I want to ask you though, because when we initially started this conversation, as you began to explain, um, you thought you, you, you considered this to be a, a military operation that took place at Echo Park. Um, can you give me a little bit more detail in, in regard to how that military operation took place and, and what the treatment was of folks who were obviously living in Echo Park as well as organizers and supporters that came in, in solidarity essentially to stand up against that of, you know, getting rid of the folks in the encampments at Echo Park Lake and obviously fight against some of the, the military operation that took place there. Yeah, definitely. I can go over that. So it was a slow buildup uh, for about a month. LAPD started to roll through the park for the first time in, in a long time uh, to threaten folks. Uh, not, not that they were going to arrest them that night, but saying, hey, we're going to start enforcing soon. You should really think about leaving this area. Uh, at some point, they always kept saying, well, maybe in a month, maybe in a few weeks, they would never give a hard date. Uh, the councilman never revealed to the public that this park closure was happening until it it happened. Um, it was it was tight lipped. We had heard that he was trying to do this discreetly to avoid a quote unquote public protest issue. Um, right. So silently have plans to close the park, but not telling anyone. not even tell the street vendors who use the park to make make their bread, um, which is just really cruel. But for the residents there, yeah, they started to hear vague rumors and threats from LAPD. Um, and all of a sudden, as I mentioned, the LA Homeless Services Authority and other service providers on March 19th showed up every day saying, we're going to get everybody in a hotel room, um, which ended up being a lie, which ended up not happening. Uh, yes, they did get a, a large number of people into hotel rooms, which are very problematic. Again, as I said, that's not housing. Council member says he housed everyone. He says it's housing. That's a temporary shelter, a hotel room with strict, strict rules. They call it project room key. They don't even get a key to their room. Uh, no. They have to wow. check in. They get escorted. There's a lot of strict rules there that make people very comfortable. So, yeah. so folks, a lot of folks took rooms. But again, this is another piece of the scandal. Why is it? So there's a very limited number of hotel rooms available, uh, very limited resources. I would call it a manufactured scarcity. So the resources are there. They're just not being made available. There's a bunch of empty hotels and empty apartments all over the city uh, that are privately owned. Um, and they got public subsidies, actually, some of these hotels. But, but a very limited amount are available right now for houseless folks. Mitch O'Farrell chose to, and, and the mayor, 
prioritize Echo Park Lake for these hotel rooms, right? Like, so not based on, on the people who needed them the most. So seniors, disabled folks, immunocompromised all over his district. He chose to focus on anyone living at Echo Park Lake would get a room. So if you were young and healthy, houseless person, uh, you would get a room. But a few blocks away, uh, my friend Edward, who's, who's elderly and has mobility issues, he's not getting a room. Why is that, you know? And, and so they weaponized these hotel rooms. Um, and very swiftly after a few days, um, on March 24th, that was the night we heard they were coming that night to potentially evict everyone. We don't know. that Nothing was made public. But we were prepared. Uh, I say we, the, the residents of the encampment, the community members who have been supporting them. Um, we had a rally that day to just to raise awareness and tell the press, hey, we think this is happening. This that mass eviction and park closure. Why isn't the council member telling us? Why isn't he talking to us? A lot of us don't want to go to your carceral hotel. A lot of us just straight up are not going to get a room because you don't have enough for everybody here. Um, people were lied to and said they got a room and then they didn't. Uh, to leave the park. But so that night, yeah, um, probably, you know, I don't know if it was in response to the fact that we held a rally, but the councilman ordered about, I don't know how many hundreds of militarized police in riot gear, helicopters. Um, I can't tell you how many cars I saw, police vehicles, uh, buses to load people that they were going to arrest, I guess. Um, but we saw they were all staging nearby the lake and said, oh my God, this is going down. This is really like, and we held a, a quick meeting at the park just to say, this is happening. Let's do a quick know your rights. You know, let's figure this out. It, we had no idea what they were going to do. Were they going to come in? Like we thought to, to give us warnings uh, first to say, hey, everybody, you know, starting tomorrow, you can't be here. Uh, or, or here's a ticket or, you know, I don't know. We, we had no idea what their approach was going to be. But, but very quickly, we realized they were coming to close the entire area off with, with tape. Like it was a crime scene. Surround us with helicopters and, and riot police. Uh, they, they had a, a truck with the fences already arriving there at eight o'clock at night. I mean, it's kind of crazy that the park doesn't even close till 1030. Why are they showing up like at eight? Um, but very aggressively, you know, the council member says there was a threat. You know, one of the organizer groups like opposed a credible threat. I have no idea what threat he's talking about. Um, right. And so we got surrounded by cops. Uh, they started putting a fence up and, and basically, you know, we had supporters block the police, you know, in the street and in the park, you know, protecting them from eviction. So there's a huge encampment. We're saying, no, you can't force these people out like this. You can't do that. Where's, where's at least an outreach worker? Where's the warning? You're just literally showing up and telling people they have 20 minutes like they did at the North Lawn. Uh, they show up to some folks and said, you got 20 minutes to get out of here. A friend of mine named Edward was scared. Uh, he was waiting for a hotel room. He said, yes, I want a hotel room. And Lassa didn't get him one. But the cops drove a ride here. He fled. He said, well, I'm out. I don't want to get messed with by these, these riot police. I'm packing up and going, going back right. to the sidewalk, I guess. And he's on the sidewalk right now. Uh, we're going to try and help him and see if we can get him a motel room. But, um, right. That's one example of this lie. Mitch O'Farrell says he didn't use police. It was a success. He housed everyone. And very quickly, um, you know, the police escalated, uh, you know, pushing folks with their batons. They, um, gosh, they, I wasn't there to see this incident, but, um, one, one street watch organizer who was there, a volunteer, um, had his arm broken by LAPD baton. Wow. Uh, he swung it like a baseball bat. Um, he said at his arm and broke it. Um, terrible. And, yeah, it's terrible. And that night, Bru so, brutality so, is what it is. It's police. It's, brutality. it's violence. It's police violence and it's yeah. intimidation. And it felt very political. It felt like a statement from the city saying, we know you all are organized and we don't like that. So we're here to show you to say no, to say, fuck you to your movement that you're trying to build. Um, it's not happening. 
Um, there was no threat of violence. That's all a lie. They were the ones who came in with violence. And, and that night, we thought, I say we, the residents who were there, um, we got word that you know, they finally put up a paper notice at the park saying that the park was going to be closed. Literally, the very moment that riot police already surrounded it, that's when they posted a notice, which is insane. But one of the residents said, well, you know, um, I want that. And also, can you guarantee, because we were trying to de-escalate the situation, he said, can you guarantee you won't evict us tonight? Because it says here the park is closed tomorrow. So can you at least give us a, another night? And the LAPD captain said, yes, we are not going to evict anyone. I think they said they changed their mind when they saw that we were all over social media and, and the LA Times was there covering it. And wow. It was blowing up. It was blowing up. And so yeah. cops are telling people, you got 20 minutes to go. Then suddenly they're like, oh, actually, no. No, you guys can stay. And um, But then they said, we want all your the protesters here who are, who are housed. We want them out of here. So we'll leave you all alone. We'll give you another night. We thought it was a victory. Little did we know and little did we think it was even legal. But, but hey, you know what? The law doesn't mean anything in these moments, right? Uh, the law doesn't apply uh, when the city and, and the powers of be just want to do something like this. Um, so we, we left. We de-escalated. We told people to go home. We, we won. We, we won the night. You know, they're letting us stay one more night. Little did we know, the next day, residents woke up and a fence had been built around them. Uh, they were surrounded Whoa. by a fence, like at, in a prison camp. The police had an entire perimeter locked off a, a, across the street, so no outreach. None of the supporters could show up and and talk with the folks who were trapped inside. Um, and so they, they tricked us. They, they said they weren't going to do it. Oh, yeah, we're not going to close the park tonight. Oh, you guys are good. And sure enough, they closed it in the middle of the night and surrounded folks. Uh, we had pictures of riot police walking through the park, marching through like a stopo uh, past tents, and just intimidating folks. And the last group of people that were there, they aggressively said, hey, this is it. We got a room for you um, if you want it. My friend Gustavo, he said, okay, well, if you really have a room for me in this area, because I work, it's like I'm a handyman, I got tools, I need to be in, in, in this general area of downtown. They said, yeah, we got a room for you. As soon as he left the park, they said, oh, actually, we don't have a room for you. We might have a room for you in Downey, which is far away. Uh, and, and LA's big. LA's big. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. huge. So, so we might have a room for you there. And they said, well, shit, can I go back to the park to get my set? And they said, no, once you leave the park, you can't go back. Oh. So they, they were tricking people into leaving the park, into taking these, these raw deals. Uh, and again, some folks did get a room. Some folks didn't realize how carceral those rooms were going to be or how temporary they were going to be. Uh, they heard, you know, Lhasa was giving people Project Room Key through September, which is six months. That's a big chunk of time. Um, but, but there were some folks that got a hotel room, and apparently it's only for two weeks is what we're wow. hearing. Um, yeah. Some folks went to a hotel in, I believe it was Palmdale or Norwalk, and when they arrived, there actually weren't rooms available. And they said, oh, but we got a shelter bed for you over here, Salvation Army shelter. Um, so it shows you they were really just trying to get people out of the park. And, right. and that night as well, when they finally did, you know, that was the, the, the final day where, where folks were in the park and they were trying to get them out. There was another gathering. We tried to do peaceful vigil outside uh, where former residents who were displaced um, would speak to the media and talk and just about how they feel about everything. And the police once again escalated and uh, they kettled a large group of protesters there and arrested 180 people, including journalists, including some houseless folks who were, who were, I mean, get this man, just to show you how strong the community was. There were some unhoused folks who had got Project Grimke hotels and still came back to join the protest for their, their, uh, their fellow community members who were still in the park. And, and some of them got arrested and taken to jail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, so my next question, and, and we'll get a little bit more back into that, but um, what do you say to 
sort of the quote unquote, or I say it with air quotes, eyesoreness, because you mentioned it early on that, you know, is this is gentrification. Essentially, you have these white homeowners who are saying that, you know, this is it's an eyesore. Obviously, the city is saying that repairs are needed to be made at this particular park. Um, what is your response to kind of that narrative of rep, uh, repairs being needed at the park as well as the people living at that park being an eyesore to the homeowners that live in that community or the housed people that live in that community? Yeah, this is a big, it's what comes up everywhere, right? Um, and I would say to those folks, if if you don't like it, you have to see people living in tents, you should be mad at the people who have forced them to have no option but live in a tent. And that's the capitalists and you know, real estate, the real estate folks with all the money and power uh, to control land and, and housing and the politicians and police that serve and protect them. Um, and, you know, this is a crisis that disproportionately impacts black folks. We know that mm-hmm. uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, there's systemic you know, racial capitalism that um, for decades has created this mass homeless problem. And, and folks should be angry at the system that created this. I'll just keep saying that. That's who you should be angry about. And maybe you should go talk to the folks living in those tents and, and meet them where they're at and see, you know, talk, check in with your neighbors, see what they need. Um, because folks have nowhere to go. You can't arrest someone because they have nowhere else to go, but the sidewalk, you can't fault someone for saying, I feel safer in a tent than I do going to one of those shelters, one of those programs where they treat us like criminals or like children. Just talking to my friend Phoenix, who, who said, yeah, it feels like they're treating us like, like children or criminals at this hotel. I almost, I, he said, he actually took a break from the hotel. He said, I felt more comfortable sleeping in my tent. Yeah. Um, actually one night in, he said, I'm still going to try the hotel, you know, and see if they can get me in my own apartment eventually. Cause that's what I want. But I don't know if I believe him. Um, but yeah, the eyesore thing, man, it's like, I tell people, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to see it. And I would say as an organizer, like, I mean, <laughs> I would encourage for the, you know, that parks be used because it's such a space that these gentrifiers love and covet I think it's a great place to have that dialogue where we, there are bathrooms at parks. Like I said, those public health resources that unhoused people need. Um, unhoused folks should be welcome at parks. Uh, that, that's what I say. I say parks should be open uh, to houseless people right now during this crisis. And, and the house folks that think, oh, well, I, I shouldn't have to see that. Or what about me? You know, I want to go through a stroll through the park. You know, nothing's stopping you at Echo Park. Like people were, were taking their kids to the park still when the encampment was there. There was no sidewalks being blocked. There were grassy hills that people could have picnics on still. It's, it's disgusting to hear these people, these homeowners say that they're terrified to go to the park or they can't go because it's just too, they've taken over. There's a way to coexist here. And these NIMBYs have got to uh, settle, settle the ebb down because you can't just erase the problem with, with police and, and sweeps. Yeah. You can't sweep this away. Uh, that's not an answer. That only actually makes the problem worse. Right. And just, and just kicks the can down the road. It's like a leaf blower. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I saw that I'm a big sports sports fan myself personally. And um, there was an article written by Dr. Jules Boykoff and Dave Zirin. And you were actually quoted in that article about the Olympic tie-ins to um, what's taking place at Echo Park. Um, obviously, from a militarization standpoint, from a symbolic standpoint, um, as there's a fountain from the 1984 Olympics that uh, exist in Echo Park and the 1984 Olympics were obviously in Los Angeles. 2028 Olympics are coming up in just seven years from now. Um, can you just kind of elaborate a little bit more on sort of that tie-in and how that may have impacted 
um, the happenings that took place last week? Yeah, so yeah, that's a big question, right? The Olympics, you know, I'm, I'm also part of the No Olympics LA coalition mm. uh, that's been fighting the 2028, you know, trying to stop the 2028 games uh, from happening because every city that the Olympics goes to, you see displacement, militarization, gentrification, uh, the attempts to socially cleanse the city, right? Which means sending police to sweep homeless folks out of sight, out of mind, right? Uh, sending police to, to do mass arrests of uh, black and brown folks uh, who are poor uh, to make way for wealthy tourists and uh, and consumers, right? And Echo Park Lake is is sort of a localized symbol of that same idea. It is a site, it's the second most popular park in LA. Uh, it has a big, yeah, Olympic fountain there, but it also hosts events in the summer like the Lotus Festival, uh, Echo Park Rising is a, a recent music festival that's uh, that happens every year there. And every time Echo Park Rising has happened, um, sweeps of homeless encampments get scheduled, like in the in the days leading up to that festival. It's not a coincidence, right? They they want to clear poverty out out of sight, so that when that festival happens, the concert goers don't have to see tents and, and poor people, right? Um, and so this is this is a form of that of using military resources, basically police resources to forcibly remove folks from a park. Not a coincidence. It's right. As summer is approaching, I wouldn't even be surprised if they did this, you know, how rushed this was. Cause I wondered, I was like, why couldn't they have waited another month uh, at least to keep offering folks rooms and stuff and do outreach. It feels like they really wanted to do this so that they could time it for something like the Lotus Festival, which I believe is in July uh, and reopen the park for the summer, the grand reopening of this public space with events and, um, right, and consumers, and, and just generally the gentrification of Echo Park in general that's accelerating at this moment. There's uh, a shelter uh, that's going to open up a tiny shed site that's probably going to have a criminalization zone attached to it, which means that all of Echo Park will be will have regular daily sanitation and police presence to harass homeless folks. Um, that's going to be something that, that's going to, I think, uh, coincide with Echo Park Lake opening is suddenly the lake is open, but now there's this zone. So if you're homeless and you try and come back, they're going to get you right away, right? They, I know in the Olympics has a thing, I think called called Olympic zones, mm -hmm. uh, I heard, enforcement yeah. zones. Uh, you know, so that, that's a piece of this. There's major developments, uh, market rate apartments that are going up all over Echo Park. So it feels like it's it's part of that same process of, of gentrification, of, you know, removing poor folks uh, so that, so that consumers and rich people don't have to see them. And yeah, them. and to to, to, yeah. to sort of glamorize the city, essentially, and make it like a landing and destination city, especially when you have these mega events, such as the Olympics that you know are on the horizon. That's right. Very, very soon. 2028 is... is it's coming. It's coming. It's we're, already, coming. we're already in April of 2021, and my goodness, that went by fast. <laughs> yeah, and you, see, you already see council members talking about, and, and the LAPD, you know, we're going to need, I can't remember what the number is off the top of my head, like 15,000 more, you know, cops for the Olympics. Yeah. We're going to need to pump that budget. So all these toys and all these cops we're seeing walking around with, you know, fancy shotguns and, and drones. We did a vigil the other day. Man, we, were, we did a peaceful candlelight vigil. A couple nights ago, we told everyone this isn't going to be a protest. We don't want to get kettled again. We're just going to walk around with candles and put them in front of Mitchell Farrell's office. We had an LAPD drone show up uh, to watch us and a helicopter with a spotlight. But I was wow. like, look at all this fancy equipment they got yeah. for a vigil. Yeah. And like, how many, you know, how many hotel rooms could they have rented you know, for this right now? Or the millions of dollars they've already spent on, on the multiple you know, riot police actions that they, they put out. How many millions of dollars could have of that could have been used to actually help people 
Uh, it's really gross. And the Olympics, yeah. again, are a waste of money that could be going to things that will actually help people for a two-week sporting event. You know, come on. Um, well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like defunding the police will be a, a narrative and a chant that's going to go on for a while longer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Based on, you know, some of that and, and sort of the militarization of the games. And obviously you can get more specific about other funding of, of police bureaus across the country. But, yeah, it seems like that's not going away anytime soon, just based on this example here in front of us. Definitely not going away. And it's only going to grow. And I think that what we have to make clear when we say defund the police, like, I always, I, I always stand by the, the phrases like house keys, not handcuffs, service, right. not sweeps, because it's saying, here's what you should be spending those resources on instead of policing, right? Gotcha. It's like mental health services, health care, uh, harm reduction for, for folks who are using drugs, you know, right. uh, instead of criminalizing folks and wasting money like that, um, putting people into housing and not into jails, you know, yeah. or partial shelters. Um, that's where you should be shifting those resources. Um, and that's only going to grow those calls. Uh, for that are only going to continue. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's a major fight we got. Because uh, they're sure. trying to change the narrative too. Like Mitch O'Farrell says, well, I housed everybody. What are you talking about? Act crazy activists. I got everybody into housing. They use that term when really they mean a temporary shelter with a bunch of rules. Definitely. Well, Jed, I appreciate you so much for, for the breakdown of everything that's going on at Echo Park and beyond. Um, very informative. And I appreciate you greatly for joining me here on the Street Roots Podcast. And don't be surprised if you are asked to make appearance again, an appearance again someday. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Devon. Really Thank appreciate you. It. Appreciate it. Peace out. As the Vendor Program Director here at Street Roots, thank you all for tuning in to the Street Roots Podcast. We'll chat with you on the next one.